Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, we are joined by Sally Swift and Tracy Brower from Steelcase's Smart and Connected and Applied Research and Consulting Groups. The two discuss how big data is reshaping the way we work and how it's not just the what of data, but the so what and the why. Well, welcome everyone to the What's Next Future of Corporate Real Estate podcast. We are super delighted to be with you. This is Tracy Brower. I'm with Sally Swift, and we're going to be talking a little bit today about big data, thick data, and everything in between. But let me pause and have you introduce yourself first, Sal. Sure. I'm Sally Swift, and I am a director in our Smart and Connected group here at Steelcase, and I have really been focusing on working on how do we make sense of all of the data, and then how can we help facility managers and real estate people make better decisions more easily because they have the right data. Wonderful. And I'm Tracy Brower. I'm a principal with our Applied Research and Consulting group here at Steelcase, and we're always taking the insights that uh, Steelcase um, creates out of the research and really applying those for customers and working closely with you, Sally, around big data and thick data and really synthesizing and creating insights from all kinds of data. So looking forward to our dialogue today. So, Sally, let's start here. Why is data particularly important today? Why now? Well, if you look historically, it was all about saving money per square foot. And it has so moved away from that. The bar is so much higher now. And the pressures have intensified because facility managers are being asked to start really impacting things like attract and retain, um, impact how the business operates and how to make it more effective overall, impact employee engagement and culture and productivity. And because of all of those things, it's just impossible for people not to look at data differently and the need for data differently. Um, they just have different metrics that they have to look at, and they also have to make sure that with everything coming at them, they're focusing on the things that are going to have the biggest impact overall. Yeah. That makes so much sense. You know, we always talk about needing to create an evidence-based culture, and HBR came out a while back with that article that talked to HIPPO, about a HIPPO-based um, culture where it's the highest paid person or the highest placed person's opinion, um, that being less the preference and more the preference to really focus on an evidence-based culture and really focusing on those business drivers like you were talking about, attraction and retention and growth and um, things that are really something the business cares about holistically and letting data really help move us to decisions that drive those business mm -hmm. drivers. And then data can really help people minimize their risk overall if they if they use it properly and at the same point in time help them to increase the flexibility for their facilities um, so that it can work better not only for, for saving money, but also to really get at the things that matter to the people that are within that space. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Awesome. What about work? You know, I mean, what we're really doing with all the, all the uh, integration of data and interpretation of data is really understanding work better. So how is work changing today? Well, as you know, work is totally being driven by the changes in technology and by the need to have more thought leadership happening out of companies. And because of that, work is becoming so much more complex than it used to be. Um, and of course, no one's going to have all the answers, but what we're seeing is this intensifying of collaboration activities. Even how people do focus work is getting more complex than what it used to be. And also, in addition to that, you have a lot more network things happening um, in terms of looking at relationships from a mobility standpoint and within the organization overall. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that we've talked about, too, is just 
there's so much information coming at us all the time. No matter what kind of role we're in, there's so much information coming at us. It's like we still have to find the needle in the haystack, but the haystack is just getting bigger. And so being able to discern the signal from the noise, you know, all the noise coming at us, what are those real signals we need to pay attention to? And we get a lot of what, but what's the so what and what's the why, which I know is important to you too. So really, really great opportunity for us to think about work changing and then how we think about data as a, as a result of that. You know, the other thing we hear customers talk a lot about all the time is costs, how costs are allocated, how they're distributed. In what ways are you seeing that costs are typically distributed across the enterprise? Okay, if you were to ask me this a couple of years ago, I would have had a very different answer for you, but as we look at it today, um, still we see most predominantly money is being spent on people. About 80% of, of overall op expenditures go that way. Um, but then what we've seen is a growth in technology. So a lot of organizations, almost 12% of their overall budget, and then real estate comes in at about 8%. So you can see those are all key players, but what it means at the end of the day is it's not optimizing for real estate, it's really making real estate optimized for the people that are within that space. Nice, yeah. You know, the other thing you always talk about here that I love to hear you describe is um, how organizations will so typically invest in um, capital expenditures and then maybe not invest so much over time in the space. Talk a little bit about how you see those cost structures shifting and that ongoing investment in space. Sure. We used to see where you'd have a major investment, let's say $5 million, and then nothing would happen to the space until 10, 15 years, and then you'd have another $5 million investment. And what would happen over that time is because of all the changes that are happening in terms of people work and how they interact with each other and just basically the overall flexibility and dynamics of an organization was making it so that spaces weren't relevant for people anymore. Um, now what we're seeing instead is we're starting to see an emergence of where people are starting to invest in their spaces more on an annual or semi-annual type basis. And by making those smaller investments, they're able to rev their organization so that they can make those tweaks and adjustments within the space. And by doing so, they increase the overall relevancy of the space for all the people that are in it. Yeah, and you know, earlier we talked a little bit about risk, reducing risk and increasing flexibility. It sounds like that kind of an investment strategy really helps do that as well, reducing risk over time because you're making smaller investments over time. Oh, totally. And you're um, really evolving that experience for people over time, too, and able to respond more quickly to what people's needs are. Yeah, that's really cool. So I assume that when we're making decisions about what to invest in, it's really all about what real estate and facility leaders are interested in, what they're hearing from their organizations. And I know you did a really interesting study on what was really keeping real estate and facility leaders and other leaders up at night. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Sure. We most recently did a survey for about 400 people. And again, as you were saying, it's facility managers, real estate people, and then other major decision makers within the company and ask them what keeps them up at night. And as we did that, what we found out is if they look at the organization overall, what they were seeing is really no surprises to us. We were seeing that over 60% of them were still saying that focus and collaboration was important, time management was important, and attraction retained. Those things were keeping them up. But when we asked them specifically about the space, we saw some new front runners um, where 60% of them were saying that IT security was important and that organizational effectiveness was important. This is showing that the world of a facility manager and real estate person has advanced so far from just looking at things from a square footage and saving money on that square footage type basis, and it's really moved to a whole different level within the organization. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so interesting that IT security has become so um, so top in terms of concerns and has flipped so much, right, and emerged in some new ways um, along with some old standbys. It feels like real estate and facilities is being held accountable just to some really new things that go beyond, as you said, you know, square foot per person or the physical environment by itself because we know it's so connected. What about um, what about the types of space and experience that we're measuring, given what's keeping real estate and facility and other leaders awake at night, given what their priorities are that you just talked about, what is it that we're measuring to really um, help look at that? Well, I think everyone is rushing right now to get to the quantitative data, right? Because we never had it before, and now that we can get to it, people are really thirsty to take in all that they possibly can. But what they need to make sure that we're doing is not walking away from the qualitative data. Because quant will tell you what, qual will tell you why, and together they will give you the so what and what should you do about it. So I think it's really important that we make sure that we look at things in a holistic environment. Let me just give you a quick story to tell you. Um, we had done a study for an organization, and as part of that study, what we found out is that a particular work area had extremely low occupancy associated with it. And when we started looking at it, the facility manager was saying, well, we don't need that space anymore. Let's just get rid of it because the people aren't using it. But when we went back, did the surveys, and talked to the people that were in the space, what we found out it wasn't that they didn't want to use the space. It was that they couldn't use the space. They were doing a lot of phone calls. They were doing a lot of telepresence meetings. They were doing brainstorming sessions. And the space was out in the open so people could overhear their conversations, and it didn't even have any whiteboards in it. So by modifying the space so that it could better serve the people, of course, automatically the occupancy of that space was able to rise. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. It reminds me of, we've worked with customers before where uh, line of business leaders will have low utilization in their particular space and a real estate or a facility person will go to them and say, you know, what's wrong? Why aren't you using the space the way you should be using it? And it's almost like we're holding the people accountable to the space instead of the other way around. We want to hold the space accountable to the people. Yeah, it's really important to realize that data without context is meaningless. Um, whether it's supplementing that data by having photos or just recording what the spatial traits are of an area or being able to understand how many people are truly in that space through badging data and things like that, and then being able to supplement with the surveys to get that, that voice of the of the public, so to speak, the voice of the employees, so that I have not only understanding how they're voting with their feet, but I can understand how they're voting with their hearts. That's where the richness comes in. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of our um, our data pyramid, where you imagine a pyramid, you've got data at the bottom, and then the middle layer is information, and the top layer is insight. When we go from the bottom to the middle, when we add when we add meaning to data, we get information. But when we apply that information to the real team, to the real organization, to the real need, that's when we get insight. It's really um, the application of both meaning and um, and really an understanding of the context that we're able to get to that insight piece. So that makes so much sense. But you know, one of the things we always talk about too is that this area is kind of fraught with mistakes. It's easy to make a lot of mistakes as data is um, related. Talk a little bit about what are some of the mistakes to avoid when measuring and making decisions with data? Well, we were talking about a little bit before, of course, data with data for its own sake, right? Um, I always love to use the Gartner model because in the Gartner model, uh, they really talk about the fact that you can just provide data to someone 
But when you do that, there's just so much decision-making and analysis that has to be done by a facility manager who doesn't necessarily have the background in being able to do it. Um, and because of that, you're really increasing your risk of making the wrong decision overall. If, however, we can move and enrich that data so that now we can start making it descriptive, we can do diagnostics on the data where we're bringing different pieces of information to bear to be able to make better decisions overall, um, and then can add to it so that we can actually become um, predictive in terms of having enough data to be able to make better decisions and, and really anticipate what's going to happen in the organization, and then move to being prescriptive and being able to advise people in what they should be doing. By doing all of those steps, what we do is we can minimize those mistakes by really minimizing the individual work that has to be done by a facility manager group in order to move to decision and action. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. You know, the other thing you always speak to so nicely is around the um, emphasis on experimentation. And you have that example of benching where the can't, there's some use of the bench with the canopy and without a canopy. Talk a little bit about that example and how that speaks to experimentation with data. Sure, Experiment. I'm a huge advocate of experimentation. Um, so just to give you an example, this is another great way to minimize your risk. Um, we had had a customer who was looking at should they or should they not um, have some sort of, of, of when I want to say protective cover over a benching area in order to be able to improve the utilization of the space. So we did a small experiment where we did one bench that had a canopy and had storage at the end. We did another bench that was totally open. Then what we do is over the weekend, we would flip the two um, applications so that we could negate for window exposure and being close to a corridor, whatever those types of variables might be. And by doing that experiment, we were able to show that we were able to increase the overall utilization of the space by being able to provide that canopy. So by doing that little, little experiment, we are able now to take that and be able to recommend to the facility manager that you can take that and cascade that throughout the rest of your organization so that we can overall increase the utilization at large versus just by doing the experiment. Nice, that's brilliant. So it sounds like, thinking lessons learned, it sounds like one of the lessons learned is to be experimental and kind of stick a toe in the water. What are the other lessons learned that you've seen over time as people start to really use and embrace data? Well, I think we talked about it a little bit. It's focus on the people, not on the space. Because as you were talking earlier, it's how do I empower that space to be able to empower the people at the end of the day. Um, it's taking the, the data, putting it in context, um, and then being able to really look at what does the data mean at the very end, so that I'm really looking at the data not for data's sake, but how do I make sense of the data overall. Brilliant. Yeah, makes sense. And so, you know, just final question. Um, with the mistakes that we've talked about avoiding, with the lessons learned that we've talked about, where do we go from here? What, what do you think is the future, and, and where do we go from here as it relates to using data and leveraging data most effectively? Well, I think the first thing is to start. <laughs> because um, if you're leery of it and want to stay away from it, um, you'll never get the benefits at the end of the day. So don't think about it that it's something you have to take the plunge and get all of the data at one point in time. It will be totally overwhelming. Instead, dip your toe in the water, start with small steps, um, and be able to build that data set over time. So maybe you start with just 
going around and doing the bed check. Then you move on, you bring sensors in. Then you add in badging data, you add in the surveys, you add in Wi-Fi all over time. If you start with all of that at one point in time, it, it's just too much to even absorb. Instead of building layers and getting more uh, depth to those layers over time. Then I would also add is figure out what are the business drivers for your organization so that you can focus on those. So if it's collaboration, you can focus on how do I improve collaboration. Um, that's where you're going to get the biggest impact is by doing that. Um, you also want to really explore the whole experimentation that we talked about to be able to make it rich. Um, and then don't worry about if you get it 100% right. Otherwise, you're going to be so stuck in analysis that you're never going to be able to move forward. Basically, get the boat moving in the right direction, knowing that if you built in enough flexibility, you're able to bend and shift and be able to move in the right ways over time. Yeah, makes sense. It sounds like it's kind of that point we were talking about. It's really a journey. So just getting started on the journey, and you can't you can't really go wrong if you start on the journey and experiment a bit. You know, I think the really interesting thing is there's so much data, so ubiquitously available, that we all are kind of coming with new demands for quantitative data, and people have higher expectations for the data that we bring to bear in any of our roles and any of our decision-making. And so this opportunity to leverage quantitative data and then mix in the qualitative data and, you know, like you say, just really figure out what those business drivers are and, and really experiment in order to reduce risk and increase flexibility are a big deal. Mm -hmm. So this is terrific. Thank you for your time on this topic. I know we've got a blog post that is related to this one as well. And um, really, really appreciate your time, Sally. Thanks for, um, thanks for doing the podcast. And thanks to those who are listening. Thanks. It was my pleasure. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.